let's start having a conversation about how life is going now that we're recording. As if we weren't talking for like the past hour and 15 minutes. (laughs) We sure have been. Have I told you about the podcast Wiser Than Me? No, tell me everything. (gasps) I really haven't sent this to you? No. I was certain that I've sent you a link to at least the first episode. Okay, so Wiser Than Me is a podcast by Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Oh, I love her. Who is, she's like over 60 now. And she started to reflect on the fact that women, as they age, they start to become increasingly more invisible. And so her whole podcast premise is that she is talking to women who are wiser than her. And probably, I don't know what the average age is going to end up being, but the first two guests are in their 80s. And so the first guest is Jane Fonda. Oh, yay. <laughs> we both smiled really big. I love her. The second guest is Isabel Allende. I've listened to both of them. And they're uh-huh. phenomenal conversations. They're so empowering. I, oh. Jane Fonda is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. She's an activist. And yes. Stuff, right? I don't even understand yeah. how she's 85. She does not talk like she's 85, but there's just the advice, just the way that they have this conversation. I felt like I was having conversation with my grandmother and Aww. and the respect of someone who really is committed to continuing to like learn and grow and have all of this shared perspective from that many years of life. And oh my gosh, it's so good. So I check that out. I can't I literally can't recommend it more. And it's so it's such a comfort to to listen to the stories of women and Julia weighs in too. And then at the end of the episodes, she like calls her mom to tell her about them. It's like, oh, she goes, Mommy, I just talked to Jane Fonda. And it was amazing. (laughs) amazing. That's something that my mom would like never, ever say. (laughs) Hey, Mom, I just talked to Carol Radlin. She'd be like, who? Who? I know. <laughs> oh, but it's so cool. There's something very comforting to listen to these stories and know that you know how it is. You get sucked up in your own stuff that's going on in the given moment, that immediate struggle. But you can look back at X amount of decades of your life and be like, oh, yeah, I went through that thing. And then I went through another uh-huh. thing. Both these women have been married and divorced like three times. And I don't know, just commitment to being their best selves, their authentic selves, like no matter what, and that it's unapologetic in a way. It's just very feminist, Mm. very cool. Oh, man. I want to get there. Yeah. Welcome to the Viola-Centric Podcast. We are two curious violists finding inspiration through authentic and challenging conversations in the professional music world. I'm Liz. And I'm Steph. Let's jump in the deep end. I did the craziest thing this weekend. I finished a rehearsal on a Friday afternoon. It was pouring rain in DC, which as anybody who lives around here knows, if it's pouring rain, the traffic is going to be absolutely miserable. (laughs) But my dad was at the beach. And so I had a spare 26 hours. So I got in my car and I drove to the beach, which was four and a half hours away. (laughs) You win the best daughter award. (laughs) I do, don't I? (laughs) Yes. Got about an hour of sunshine on Saturday morning and it was totally worth it. You know how you go to a place and you just have this feeling of, because I was in the car and going, this was a crazy idea. I don't know if this was worth it. I'm going to be so tired. I'm 40 now. Like this body, I don't know if I can handle this kind of thing anymore. (laughs) And then as I got closer to the beach, I felt myself relaxing. And then when I pulled up to the road where the house is, I just was like, yeah, it's great that my dad was there. But really, it was about being in the place. (laughs) So it was totally worth it. But on the drive back, I was listening to this podcast and I listened to Julia talking to her mom and I was like, I'm going to call my mom. (laughs) I chatted with my mom and told her about listening to the podcast where she calls her mom and talks about her podcast. How meta. (laughs) So meta. (laughs) Anyway, how are you doing? I'm good. I've got a podcast recommendation. So I was, I sent this to you. Yes. I was listening to this podcast called People I Mostly Admire. Mm. And it's by Steve Levitt. So Freakonomics was written by Stephen Dubner and Steve Levitt. They both have their own podcasts actually right now. But Steve Levitt has this podcast called People I Mostly Admire. And he just interviewed Rick Rubin, who you know, is like a very, they joke about this, he's a legendary music producer. And he founded Def Jam Records from his college dorm room. He's just arguably one of the most creative people 
around right yep. now. And so he just wrote a book called The Creative Act. And he was talking about it on this podcast. And oh, the man, the things that he was talking about are relatable as people who are creatives like us. Yeah. And just so many of the concept were just aha light bulb moments where I was just I was I think I was texting you I was like, I almost cried several times. Yeah. Because it was just so true. It was just such truth in such a concentrated, compact little package. Yeah. And I was like, yes, you distilled it down. I can't wait to listen. But what are what would you say was like one that really stuck out if you had to summarize it? Oh my gosh, just so many things that we've talked about before, like how perfectionism will get you so far Mm -hmm. and that there are different phases to the creative process. And the first one is definitely just brainstorming, just getting all of your ideas out. You can literally throw anything out there. And then once you move out of that phase and into the next, then you have to refine a lot more. And then once you get past that, perfectionism is out the window. You're on a deadline. You want to get this out the door. And at that point, if it isn't there yet, it's never going to be there. Mm. So it was just, it was a very relatable way to talk about the creative process and just really lovely. And he's just like this Yoda kind of figure. (laughs) He's just, I love (laughs) all these little truths. I love it. That's so great. Yeah, he was great. I can't wait to listen. And it does have me thinking about that concept of letting go. And it Mm. doesn't necessarily mean you're letting go of a project. Maybe sometimes you get to that point and you're like, I can't, this won't work. But mm-hmm. other times it's like, well, it's never going to be perfect. So I'm going to let go and I'm just going to put it out there <laughs> for the yeah. world to see and trusting that's part of the process. It's such an interesting shift of perspective that we really have to do a lot of, I mean, make a conscious effort to uh-huh. let go of the idea in our head of what it's supposed to be. Yeah. One, one thing that he was t- saying was that once you're ready to share it with somebody whose opinion you really trust, that's the measure mm-hmm. of whether it's ready. Mm-hmm. If you're going to send it to a teacher and be like, can you tell me what you think about this? It's probably ready. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, just so much was just aha, just full body nod moments. So I love that. Oh my God, I can't wait. But then I just got turned on to this show also on the completely different subject on HBO. I think it's on HBO Max. It's called Somebody Somewhere. Have you heard about this show? No. It's the show about this woman. The actress is Bridget Everett. Okay. She's a comedian and her character moves back to her hometown in Kansas in order to take care of her sister who eventually passes away. And it's about her living in her family home and being in her hometown again and coming to peace with where she is and where she is in her life. And she's around people who she went to high school with and, Mm. oh gosh, am I really back here? Mm -hmm. And it's a really real show, very real. And there's a bunch of really amazing supporting characters, but it's just, it makes you feel things. Cool. This show, I really highly recommend it. Thank you. I'm in a bit of a drought mm-hmm. with shows, so I will check that out. Check it out. Yeah. Check it out. I will, for sure. Let us know what you're watching. We want to know. I know. What you're watching, listening to. Yeah. Good shows, good podcasts. We want to know all the yeah. things. Books, good books. Yeah, books. Um, definitely. I did just pick up some books like maybe about a week ago or so. I've been doing a lot of exploration in the field of self-compassion. Ah. And it's interesting because I feel like it's funny, you go through difficult things and the more difficult the thing, actually, sometimes the harder it is for us to be compassionate for ourselves, especially if you're wired for this sort of resistance of like, well, I should feel this way. I, sh- I know better than this. Like, I understand that this is the reality. So how come I can't just move beyond X, Y, and Z? It's you can say all these things and have no concept that what you're really doing is ignoring something that's happening internally that needs to be acknowledged. Uh, Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I started this exploration and there's a PhD named Kristen Neff. I don't know if you're familiar with this name. She's like the guru of self-compassion. And so I started listening to some guided talks from her on Insight Timer. I've heard her on podcasts before and she has a book. She describes it so eloquently in a way that's it's pretty clinical. It's just you experience something in your body and that thing needs, it needs nurturing, it needs caring for in order for you to be able to process it. And these things keep coming up. They'll never go away entirely. They'll be forever. Mm -hmm. Um, But in recognizing them and sort of allowing them to be there and, and just kind of soothing them it it may come up but it doesn't overtake you yeah 
I've always felt this particular sensitivity to that, just like getting super overwhelmed by most emotions. It's harder when it's not the most positive emotion, but it's amazing what comes up then, because if you can figure out, oh, okay, this is a feeling of guilt, this is a feeling of rejection, this is a feeling of whatever it might be, then you can explore how true the stories are that come from your head. And it's really an interesting experience. And of course, it's very relatable to our careers. But for most of us, I would say the majority of human beings who were raised by other human beings... There's a lot of that that plays into the rest of our lives as well. So I've experienced a lot of positive upward trending in doing this work and this idea of just being tender with ourselves when we're going through tough times. I've really been trying to lean into that and feeling so grateful that it's having positive effects. Yeah, I think I'm often guilty of thinking that I'm going to do this work and then it's going to be done. (laughs) And then Mm -hmm. I'm going to have fixed whatever that issue is and being frustrated when I feel like I don't have the full grasp of whatever the concept is. But I was just reminded, we were having a conversation an hour ago (laughs) about a certain situation in my life and how it's come up again and I'm reacting differently. Mm -hmm. I'm feeling differently about it. And it's because of this work that we've been doing together, but also that I've been doing on my own. And I think just reminding myself that this is all a process Mm -hmm. and this is all the continuous work of being a human. Yeah. And this work is not going to stop. Yeah. Thank goodness. Right. Because how depressing would it be to be like at the end point and be like, yep, I'm done. I'm all done learning about myself and know all there is to know. Oh my gosh. There would be no Um, grand mystery in that. And yeah. And the discovery is so much of the joy. Yep. Of the process. I love that you related that idea of coming up against a similar situation and recognizing a reaction that was from your past and not being in that place anymore. Because I do think <laughs> that encapsulates it really well that there's, I'm going to use guilt again, because that's actually something I have really been exploring in my own life that there's just so many things to feel guilty for <laughs> all yep. the time, all the time. Hey, I was raised Catholic too. <laughs> I'm sorry, Grandma, Grandpa. I love you so much. But yeah, Catholic guilt is real. And (laughs) if you're listening, I love you so much. (laughs) Mea culpa, and I'm making the sign of the cross. (laughs) Make a sign. (laughs) But every little interaction of the day, you could interpret some guilt with. And so to dismantle that and work with it little by little, then it's, okay, the guilt is still going to present itself in situations in your life. It's just recognizing what is, yeah, what is the reaction to that feeling? And does it change over time when you work with it? And the answer is yes. Yes. The answer is yes. One of my favorite things, I think it was actually said in this conversation we had with our guest, you can't unknow things you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's there. You can make an active choice to be ignorant to it if you want, but who wants to look like that either? (laughs) Yeah, you can put it in the background, reason your way around it, but you know it and it'll be there there. it'll be there like nagging you (laughs) yep Mm -hmm. from that point on yep oh here's to doing the work though yeah and so for all of you who are wanting to do more of that kind of work you're gonna love today's episode because we have eva capaletti chow and she is a life coach for musicians yes Her business is called The Music of You. She started it out of her own experiences with the career of music and what didn't feel authentic, what did feel authentic. And of course, being a musician herself, she's a friend of ours here in DC. She has an intimate relationship with the experiences we go through, right? Oh, yeah. We see Eva on gigs all the time. Yep. (laughs) So she's in the trenches with us. She knows what we're going through. And she, out of her own, like you said, her life experiences, she's realized that she is not alone in having these experiences and that many musicians struggle with similar things. So we got to talk to her about what triggered that for her, which was a very personal story about the in the beginning of her career. And she's going to share that with us. So that's a really relatable experience that I think we can all relate to. Relatable that you can relate to. Yes. Super relatable. (laughs) Yes, very relatable. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's so helpful. And I love that I know that she has done it even in situations with camps, with young people, having residencies places and working with musicians in depth. And it goes to a lot of what we talk about on a regular basis together, this idea that shifting perspective from the ground up is really important for the overall, I think, whole well-being of people in our career field. And that's the way to do it. It's very cool. Yes. And she's very reachable. You can work with her personally. If you are in that place and you need 
need some help, you need someone to hold space for you. She's great at that. Yeah. So we'll list all of her contact information in the show notes. But in the meantime, enjoy this conversation with Eva Capaletti Chow. Season three is sponsored by the Arkrest. You know, Liz and I are always being asked about our Arkrests and we're happy to share how much we love them. The freedom of movement has been life-changing for me. Me too. And I love how using the Arkrest allows my instrument to vibrate fully. And depending on how my body's feeling, I can also change the placement of the bass. Although Aaron and Tigran started the company in their home workshop, they've come a long way, continuing to innovate by experimenting with harder and softer woods and even new materials like fiberglass. There are bases for violin, viola, and even for small fractional instruments. And there are foam pads of different thicknesses, so you can find one that fits your body or instrument perfectly. And the guys over at Arcrest are sharing a special discount code for our listeners. Use the code VIOLACENTRIC for 10% off anything on their site. Yes, check out their offerings at thearcrest.com. That's T-H-E-A-R-C-R-E-S-T.com. And don't forget to use the code VIOLACENTRIC. Being freelance musicians means gigging in lots of different places with very unpredictable lighting situations. Oh my gosh, yes. How many times have you shown up to a church gig and wondered if you'll actually be able to see the music by showtime? Many times. Or it's a cocktail hour in a restaurant with ambient mood lighting at best. (laughs) We've all been there and have used those alien looking bendy lights that only light up the top of the page so that by the bottom of the music, you're sometimes just guessing or maybe we'll call it being creative. We didn't know it at the time, but the Aria lights could have saved us lots of eye strain and unplanned improvisation. Yes, and with a rechargeable battery that lasts eight hours, you'll never have to carry backup double A's in your case. You'll just charge it up at home and take the Aureolite to your gig. The battery will even hold a charge for years between uses, not that you would go that long. Thank you so much to Aureolites for their support this season. Please check them out at Aureolites.com. Located in a historic mansion in Tacoma Park, Maryland, you might get the impression that the team at Potter Violins are as formal as the breathtaking building that they work in. But when you go inside, instead you'll find the most relatable, skilled, and friendly staff. Yes, the people at Potter's are what really make it a special place. I love visiting because I know that whoever I work with is not going to make me feel like I'm crazy or just being picky. They're kind of like your favorite bartender. They're great listeners who give you what you need without judgment. (laughs) Yes, their technicians are not only super talented, creative, and resourceful, they take the time to collaborate with you so that the process of getting your instrument at its best really feels like a partnership. So if you're in the area, definitely stop by and introduce yourself to Chris, Rob, Kimberly, Derek, Jim, Melissa, and the whole team, or visit potterviolins.com to find what you need online. It's so fitting then that their shop is in this beautiful old house because the staff at Potter's really makes it feel like home. Our guest today is Eva Capaletti Chow, a professional violinist, certified life coach, and as a fellow DC area freelancer, friend of the pod. With over 30 years of experience as a professional musician, Eva created Music of You, her life coaching business, to support her colleagues with holistic approaches that address the whole life of the artist on and off stage. Welcome to the Viola-centric podcast, Eva. We're so excited to talk with you. I'm remembering joining in on your group sessions that you were doing during the pandemic. Oh, right. mm, yeah. And I forgot. there's one colleague in mind who sticks out who was joining that group session with us that I remember being surprised that they were doing something like a group of life coaching and really exploring some questions. This is an older musician who's approaching a retirement age. And I realized when we were in those sessions that you were doing such a great job of just bridging the gap between let's start exploring these things, ask these tough questions, having a career in this field. It builds a lot of difficult beliefs and agreements about our agency over our lives and things. So the type of work you do, I think, really helps to inspire musicians to consider a different way of approaching their lives. And you've been a freelancer as well for a very long time. And we're both curious to know what inspired you to get into the world of life coaching. And Mm. were there experiences in your own career that kind of brought you on that path? And then to take it a step further to want to help your fellow colleagues? Mm. What was that journey like for you? So first of all, I want to say thank you. 
I'm so psyched to be Thank here. Thank you. And I'm really excited to get to know you both a little bit better as well. Mm. Yeah, so this is like a win-win for me. So you ask a humongous question, but we'll go there if you want to go there. I can't help it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. I love it. So I'll start by saying that I've been a violinist since I was five. That's not unusual for any of your listeners that are especially now freelancing professional. And I had a sort of interesting experience with that because I grew up in Athens, Ohio. My dad was a professor of physics at Ohio University. So we actually had access to one of the first and foremost teachers of Suzuki. Her name was Lorraine Fink, and she was my beginning teacher. So I was learning just the formative beginnings where this is not a toy and we're not fooling around. <laughs> like, this isn't this a play. Is, yeah. This yeah. is serious business. Yeah, this is serious yeah. business. Yeah. And it, that's just part of the deal. At the same time, because we were in Southeast Ohio and my last name's Capaletti, the whole Italian side of the family all played mandolins, no professionals, but everybody always played. So my dad, in looking for people to play with, he plays guitar, found bluegrass fiddle and we literally on the weekends would go over to people square dancing in their barns and I learned from these old guys literally like the fiddle down here and the cigarette in the mouth and (laughs) and they're teaching me stuff and I could do it by ear and it was really sweet and no rules so I grew up with these two ways of understanding what music can mean community making and performing sort of the perfection piece as well as the non-perfection and just any old way you can just be in so Fast forward, college, I'm in my undergrad. I was getting, I have an undergrad double degree in psychology and music. And I really thought at that point I was going to become a psychologist for musicians. And I was playing gigs all the way through my undergrad to pay for school. And I met somebody, Andres Cardenas. He was Mm -hmm. a soloist in this little teeny orchestra we were playing in Huntington, West Virginia. And he's like, well, while we're down here, if you want to play what you're working on, go ahead. And so I played for him and he offered me a full scholarship to Carnegie Mellon. So instead of going to psych, I'm like, okay, I'm going to performance. And at the time, what I remember thinking is in order for me to really hold the space for people as classical musicians, I need to have that life. I need to become one. And then I went to New World Symphony from that. And then I got my first job. So my first job was assistant concert master of Virginia Symphony. And in that first job, it was very stressful. I was really stressed, and I think that there were a number of things that were in play, but one of them was this really clear understanding, or what I thought I understood, belief, actually. A clear belief that I was living by internally. I feel like classical musicians need to show something externally, but what we're living internally is often not related to what we're trying to look like. So my internal belief is I'm little me from Athens, Ohio, that never planned to really do this, that thank God for Andres Cardenas, we'll just do this one again, right? That he saved me in some way to at least have some chops mm. and got through New World. That was an amazing experience as well. But here I am in my first job and the in part of me is I suck and I'm not really able to do this. And I don't know. I understand how to take an audition well enough to win assistant concert ambassador. But now that I'm sitting here, I was just so out of sync with myself. So every time that I'm like, I'm a life coach. Yes, I'm actually really grateful to be one because I can st- I can serve in so many ways as a life coach. I've studied so many things and what people can get in the spaces that I'm holding, I'm hoping is something that's much wider than just sort of a coaching perspective. That's such a personal story. Thank you for sharing that. That's really, I think, something that many of us will relate to. (laughs) It's our life. It's our internal life versus our external life. And how wise of you to come to that realization when you are on your first job? <laughs> I had no choice. I was having such panic attacks. Mm. Oh, wow. I loved, I, there are people, I met my husband there. There are people that I still have dear friends with. There was nothing wrong with the job. It was Joanne Folletta. It could not be nicer <laughs> on the podium. I'm not even going to say it was the fault of who I was sitting with or anything else. I had to learn how to say no to what was really a no in me and how to be able to say yes, even if it was not what everybody was saying to Hmm. And that turns into a fabulous story. Actually, when I left that, I gave myself what I call my year of freedom. And I traveled around the world and I had incredible experiences because for one year, I allowed myself with $8,000 that I'd saved from my job, (laughs) Mm -hmm. one year of only doing what I wanted to do. Was it hard to come back? Did you feel like you had to like fit yourself back in again? 
first I wanted to say you never have to go back because once your mind is open, you don't go back and close it. Once your mind is open, now there's the next layer and the next layer and the next layer mm. and the next layer, right? So on a social self level, yes, it was an amazing time. And yes, I wish I had that freedom while I'm a mom and stuff. I can't quite go out and just run around. But more to what I find interesting and especially about what you guys are doing with your podcast is, is it hard right now to go back after the pandemic? pause because many of us came into some integrity or came into some understandings about ourselves and now we are and some of us like you guys took a second role or allowed a second thing I make a joke that it took an entire worldwide pandemic for me finally to give myself permission to do to this call it coaching yes. now it took an entire world mm-hmm. going down for mm-hmm. me to finally say it's okay for you to put violin as one thing you do and to take the risk to offer the things that I'm offering to hold the spaces for musicians in the way that I I am so drawn to hold it. So to go back to your question, Steph, yes, I find now harder to go back to Mm. as well. The choice to take a year of freedom for yourself, that was something you had autonomy over that whole situation and you created the space, but you also did the things you wanted to do. Sometimes that meant taking a job. And in the pandemic time, we didn't have that. So I just think it was something that was forced upon us initially. We all began to embrace it. And then we all were thrust back into a pace and an energy around us that is more aggressive, actually, I think, than previous. We almost have to be more guarded about that space and creating it for ourselves. And it is very hard work. It almost, it requires kind of Herculean efforts sometimes to create that kind of space in order to function. in your career. There's just so much going on now. And for those of you who are parents, the activities that are going on and the schedules and the things, it's crazy. The burnout struggle is, seems very real, right? In mm-hmm. some ways, mm-hmm. does that make sense? Yeah, I wonder sometimes if the pandemic, you know, it's a trope now that we talk about. We always talk about the pandemic and all the changes that it's brought in us before pandemic life. But I really wonder if before pandemic life was really that much different than what is going on right now, just or just aware. that we're more sensitive yeah. because we have that removal we have that perspective of what it's like to step back, what it's like to step away from it. And then stepping back, it's almost like a sensory overload. Yeah. Yeah. And we're just more sensitive to it now. I think there was yeah. this, there's this other thing I was thinking too, Eva, when you were talking about the expansion of consciousness in our minds, because I actually, my first experience with any type of life coaching or mindfulness practice was before the pandemic. I was going through my own inner voice awakening about a year and a half or so two years before it hit. So I was doing this coaching and I almost feel like consciousness is this interesting thing. It's like it stretches. It, you have to break out of a shell almost to get to the next layer. And Escape velocity? Yes. <laughs> so Eva, we're talking about the artist's way. And there's a section <laughs> mm-hmm. in the final chapters in the artist's way where she talks about escape velocity and how when you're getting ready to make a big change <laughs> in your life or make a dis- big decision, there's something that prevents you. There's something that steps in your way. And you have to get through that last resistance to escape, <laughs> just like a spaceship or a rocket has to escape the Earth's atmosphere. And anyway. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I love that. <clears throat> that That's pretty much the purview of coaching, right? Maybe, Liz, is what you're talking about, which mm-hmm. is what do you want? What would block you from doing yeah. that? What would block you from getting there? Yeah. And yep. then using tools and questions. I'm sure you experience this all the time. And I'll invite you to talk about this too, as from the coaching perspective. But I know from my own experience that my coach anyway, to just ask me a question of what I want, there are many phases of my life that I wouldn't even be able to answer that question because of what you talked about. I love this external internal motivation thing because we get so disconnected from it. And the external is so present in our lives in what we do that you start to answer. And at first, they're really just other external motivated answers. And you have to like layer through those to get to the very root of it. And I I think that's some of the most fascinating work, but I really do feel like you start and there is this feeling in my gut that says I would start making progress. And then a year later, I'd be like, oh, I'm back exactly where I was. But you're not Mm. because you have that expanded awareness. You know what you know Mm. now. It's impossible to unknow things, right? So even Mm. if you're not ready to make those changes or take that action, like you can't unknow. (laughs) 
it'll be there forever <laughs> whether you make the change or not it's the question is can you live with that but it's oh there's so many layers here anyway i was going to ask eva so a lot of us musicians can benefit from going deeper and figuring out what our internal motivations are so when you're working with a client in your life coaching business who's a musician, who was where you are, how do you help them get started with that? How can one start that process of looking inside? It's different with every single person that I'm working with. And so when somebody comes to me, I'm paying attention deeply to what you're saying. And when you sound grounded and your words are coming out very straight and the energy of it feels very grounded inside me, then that's one way. And otherwise, sometimes it's up here and there's giggling and not so sure and stuff. And I'm like, okay, so I'm starting to understand literally the music of you. What's running your world? What is the music of you? That's the invitation. Mm. So to answer your question, I'm listening deeply the same way we've been trained to listen deeply. And I'm listening for what's in resonance and out of resonance, what feels like you centered and not centered. And then at the beginning, it's a matter of just building trust. We can't unknow what we know once we know it. And yet we can easily be pulled back to the thinking mind as a reference versus a wider state of consciousness. I think it happens to more people than not. We all are going in and out of it, right? So thoughts, your thoughts are just data points of things you already know. So don't refer from it. If you want to grow or live a wider perspective, don't refer from the thinking mind. It's only going to tell you past and future that you already know. You need to go inside into a deeper place to come from a different reference. And that for me is something that is a daily practice. Again, why I love working with musicians, because we really do understand the integrity that is grown from from an authentic daily practice where what we're interested in is being curious for what we're finding, mm-hmm. not trying to be perfect. The vicious cycle when you're in that mindset, that victim mindset. Can you talk about what are some of the signs that you might be in that place and oh, yeah. what you can do to pull yourself out? Because it's a spiral and it takes a lot of mindfulness and introspection to get out of that. So I'll invite each of one of you. This is like a little taste. We'll just give you a little taste. This is a fun tool that I've had a lot of people try, and I'll be interested to see what it's like for you. Can you both find a sort of spirally experience in your life? You don't have to tell me what Uh it is. Just find for yourself some little spiral victim. We're we're both there. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. I'll be in there with you. So my first question to myself, and this is the question for this tool, is notice what you're thinking and believing in that spiral. So take a few moments, just notice what are the thoughts that I'm believing right now? And they can feel super real, like it's his fault, or I have to, or whatever the things are. Or I'm not good enough. That's another one of my favorites. My good friend, still not good enough, even as my career just keeps going. So finding a space, just as for your your listeners for a moment, I invite you guys too to just try this out. It's quirky, easy, and often will give you a reference, a different reference. So, some moment where you feel the victim is up. What thought you have that's with that? Steph, what came up for you? It's the age old, yeah, like you said, not good enough to be doing what I'm doing. Yeah. If people really knew. Yes, the imposter syndrome piece. Yeah. So which one has a little more zing for you? I'm not good enough to be doing what I'm doing or if people only knew? Probably I'm just not good enough. Liz, what for you came up? Oh, yeah. I was just doing a little bit of work like this the other day, so it's fresh. And I'm recognizing something in this moment that I'm just going to share, that I'm very fortunate to feel like I've crossed some of these thresholds in my career, but ultimately, it's it's unworthiness. Yeah, I'm unworthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, thank you for sharing yeah. that one, Liz. That's a hard one. Yeah. And I know that. One. Yeah. Yeah. So this is going to be a little bit strange, but the way I think that this tool will work best, especially if your listeners are willing to hop in. So hopefully listeners, if you're interested in having this experience with us, I'm going to invite you to do the first step of three in this. This is a tool from ACT, which is acceptance commitment therapy, but it's a tool that I use to just introduce people to a flavor of this kind of work. You're going to say what you came up with. So Steph, you and I are both going to say, I'm not good enough. Mm -hmm. We're going to say it three times aloud, 
and really fuse with the thought. And so I think the best way to do this, Liz, you're going to do I'm unworthy. I'm going to have all of us mute so that it's going to be this strange moment of silence, but for three times out loud. And the really important part is really fuse with it. Allow your body to show you what happens in that. And I will ask you when you come out of that to describe the feelings and sensations, any emotions that show up and where, and any other things that you notice that come with that thought. Okay? Okay. All right. So it'll look like this. I'll just do it once for you all. So I'm closing my eyes so I can really stay in touch with the body for this one. I'm not good enough. You can feel it already. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. And then just stay quiet and notice. And then when you're ready, Turn on your microphones and let's talk about what you noticed. What do you notice, Steph? For me, it's like a pit. A pit? Yeah, pit. Where do you notice the pit? Like in my chest. What does it feel like? Pressure. Mm, Pressure? Yeah. Hot, cold? Oh, hot. Mm. Yeah, definitely hot. Anything else that you notice with yours? Anywhere else that you feel? Like I noticed behind my eyes wanted to cry. And this sense of hopelessness that comes with that one. Yeah, that tingling right before you cry. I'm seeing you touching your, so that for your podcast folks. Yeah, like like right under your eyes. right under the eyes. Yeah, that whole area. Sinuses. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. thank you. Mm -hmm. Liz, what did you notice with yours? Things generally start for me at the very bottom of my stomach. Bottom of stomach. What do you feel? It's usually a really dull ache that builds, and it is hot. It's very warm. And then in this case, the more I set it, it rose. And the other place I significantly get discomfort often is in my solar plexus, and it's more of a tightening and burning sensation. And then it just moves up. I do a lot of chakra work, so I just recognize that these are locations in my body that these things come mm-hmm. up. But where do you feel it? I see you touching my heart. Chest. That's what, a tightness as what well. Does that feel like? Although it's usually more of a constriction rather than mm-hmm. the burning sensation that happens in my solar plexus. And mm-hmm. lately, I've really recognized that things do come up into my throat as well. So when I feel like I'm yeah. about to cry, I, I feel that choke in my throat. And so the last time I s- repeated it to myself, that is where that came from you felt it move all the way up to the throat. yes yeah yep thank you thank you so sure. wonderful that you know how to check in that's such a beginning part and not an easy no. part i can say that the most often misunderstood question in any of my sessions is what do you feel yes and they'll start to tell me what they think yes 100 uh. percent. and so actually what do you feel is like literally here are some vocabulary words and we begin to open up the lexicon of feelings and especially for body we're not used to going there especially as musicians mm-hmm. shut down and play <laughs> yeah. so to ask what does your shoulder feel like it hurts okay let's get a little <laughs> bit more lexicon for yeah. that because once we get to know something then change can happen, but we can't if we're not aware. So we bring awareness to our bodies in a way that you've just both done beautifully. And I hope that your listeners have hearing you more abilities to go, oh yeah, I have that too. I can feel that there too. Oh, Eva, I find it's so valuable what you're just sharing. But I just want to say from someone who's been doing this kind of recognition of emotions in the body for a long time, um, years, years and years, it is very hard at first to identify where they're Mm -hmm. coming from and how they Mm -hmm. feel. And it does take practice like anything else, but practice it's it's where they live. Our emotions live there. They don't live in our head. Yeah, they're called feelings. (laughs) That's right. That's right. right. And all feelings ever want are to be felt. That's their entire intelligence. So part two is that we're going to do the exact same thing again. And so I'll have you guys mute yourselves. We're going to say the same things. I'm not good enough and I'm unworthy. And we are going to preface it, though, with a statement before it. And your whole job is to say the statement. And I'll do a version of this so that everybody feels comfy. The preface, the statement itself, and then stay checked in. Check in and just notice what happens in your body. And then we'll come back and talk about that. Okay. The preface statement is, I'm having the thought that. I'm having the thought that I'm not good enough. And so I go inside. I'm having the thought that. I'm not good enough and say that three times aloud and just notice what you notice and come back when you're ready and we'll talk about it. And the same for your listeners.
Steph, are you ready? Yeah. Yeah, so what did you notice with that? There's a little bit of distance. Say more from... about the distance. So once you can pull yourself away from that statement as not a given truth, but that a thought that you are having, that I am having, then it is not as painful because it's not necessarily true. It is a thought. Yeah. So I didn't feel the same feelings. Yeah. Tell me about your, for you, it was, it was, I didn't notice the pit chest. I didn't notice that. Yeah. So even now as you're sitting, just checking Mm -hmm. in with that for a second, how is that area for you? It feels normal. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. And Liz, for you, what was that like? Yeah, this was really cool. I don't know that I've ever done it in succession like that before, but just by adding that phrase, the preface, the first time I said it, everything just started to sink back down. So rather than a rise coming up and activating everything, it was actually just letting everything go away. I will acknowledge that the feeling in my at the very bottom of my stomach, the sacral area, is still pretty <laughs> full, but that's because there's an emotion there. Beautiful. But the story and, oh. is not the emotion. So the, the word unworthy, that's not necessarily the identity piece. It's like we disassociated by saying I have this thought. And there's just, yes. there's still something there, but it's not, Yeah, it's just there. <laughs> Rather than it taking me over, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You, you just said so nicely, this disidentification piece there. And yet there's still something there. So there's still something that's identified. And for me, that's always the one to go back Mm -hmm. for, right? So there's still a part that when I hear I'm unworthy, still is triggered by believing the thought. Mm -hmm. And it's lovely that you can have, even when I can go from a 10 to an 8 to a 6, if I can walk into a room in a 6 instead of a 10, I'm calling that a win. So Mm -hmm. that when I get triggered, it doesn't take me up so high. I don't have to disassociate with myself or I don't have to check out or get the four F's, fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. They're going to show up. And if I can keep bringing my baseline down throughout my day, then I don't get so nervous I can't play. Absolutely. I can keep this baseline happening. So the third piece. For some people, this makes a difference and for some doesn't. So I'll be really curious for you guys what happens. So the third piece is one more little preface before the preface, before the statement. We go in, we feel how we feel, and we come out with whatever you notice. So before the preface is, I notice I'm having the thought that and whatever your painful statement is. I'm not good enough in my case. So again, just a few moments to check that out. Steph. I didn't really notice that much of a difference. I noticed that I didn't have that much of a difference in feeling. So it doesn't seem like that piece made that mm-hmm. much of a difference for me, that step. Okay. And Liz, for you, what was that like? All in all, everything is dissipated a bit, though mm-hmm. I recognize that we've been talking about it for a while, which probably helps that. Mm-hmm. But I think that there is this, the piece is important in terms of taking it that step further to say that you are observing or noticing that you're having that thought. That is the thing to me that kind of ties everything together. And maybe there may be instances where you don't necessarily need that piece to be articulated. But I think often it's that being an observer thing that resonates very deeply with me. Alongside the compassion piece, just recognizing that you notice these things, they're going to come up, Mm -hmm. especially these kinds of feelings that are deep seated for often our whole lives. So beautiful. I really appreciate what you just said, Liz, because I hadn't ever thought of it that way. And it's the first time and I'm like, now you're third person referenced as opposed to second. I don't remember how that works. And yeah, but I hadn't really thought of it that way. I just sort of thought of it as another step of noticing, but you're totally right. You are not your thoughts. And in fact, thoughts in and of themselves have no awareness at all. They're not yours. They have no awareness. We can have awareness of the thought, but the thought can have no awareness of us or our situation or anything that's happening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a, that could be a tough pill to swallow for a lot of people, I think. Mm-hmm. It's hard for the concept to sink in. How does this work when you are doing workshops with students? Whomever I go to, I've worked with, I've had incredible 
privileges of who I've been able to work with. And it's been top concertmasters and conductors and everything from the top to the bottom and students in the high school programs and the whole thing. And what I notice is we all have the same thoughts. And what I notice is that when given space, safe space to reveal who we really are, I haven't yet found a person that hasn't been moved when they've taken the opportunity to even just speak one truth and then go back inside themselves. And that's all we're ever looking for. We're actually always looking for someone who we can safely and honestly connect with and be true to who we are. I came to a definition of self-confidence that I haven't heard anywhere else. I think of it as mine anyway, which is self-confidence is I confide in me to know the truths of me. And if I know that and I know I'll take care of my truths, that's self-confidence. It doesn't rely on anyone outside of me. Liking me doesn't rely on whether I play well or not or who I am or not or pretty or not or ugly or old or young or stupid or smart or any of it. I confide in me to know the truths of me and then I can walk in this world as open and available Mm -hmm. because I don't need someone outside of me to tell me who I am. That's a really beautiful way to describe self-confidence. And I think as musicians, we put ourselves in these situations where we're being evaluated. I'm thinking of auditions in particular, and we look for a lot of guidance on how to be successful in an audition situation, in any kind of evaluation. But this is the most important piece. And this is what people will tell you is that I was successful at an audition when I did what I wanted to do, when I was me, when I played like me, and when I wasn't so concerned about that external. So many times you hear people say- You were internally motivated. I didn't care how it went. (laughs) I just played. That's when I won the audition. Yeah. Yeah. And I was going to ask you, Eva, about there's a lot of advice out there for people to be successful in music and to be successful Mm -hmm. in the audition circuit Mm -hmm. or whatever. And there's a lot of tools that are out there. But if you are not able to connect with yourself and figure out your own truth and your own motivation, your own authentic self, then all of them mean nothing. And I think that's where your piece of the puzzle can really fit in for people. I wouldn't say it means absolutely nothing because we learn from our mistakes. We learn. I quit my first job, right? I was having panic attacks and I'm grateful. So grateful I won that job. That Mm -hmm. one informed what I needed to do next. And so what I want to say is I have deep respect for Noah Kageyama. I have deep respect Mm -hmm. for those that are in the field of what would be called peak performance coaching, right? Like how do you be your best under hard situations, under pressure? And I'm not at all taking away from anything that they're bringing to the table. But I know for myself that what my internal world is like is what my external world is like. And so whether I win auditions through it or anything else through it, until I'm okay with my internal world, as we know, you can be the concertmaster of the New York Phil and you can be miserable. You can have a hundred million dollars and be miserable. Amen to what they're teaching. I, I, I would love to be a part of what they're doing because if you can have all the tools, we deserve them all. We Mm -hmm. deserve them all. And my role, my way to serve for myself in my life and therefore for anyone else that is interested is to attend to the parts that don't often get spoken about. And that is attending back into our internal worlds and what we're thinking and believing because we can work, as you guys have recognized, you can work with your thinking. Mm-hmm. And you can work with the parts of you that are scared as well. There's ways to go in for those parts and treat them with the respect that they deserve. Mm-hmm. Even the ones that are nastily telling you, you are not good enough. Mm-hmm. How can I go back to that one and understand that it's doing, it's trying its best to do well for me? And you, I don't need to get rid of you. I need to understand you. Yes. And I need to bring you back and integrate you with 55-year-old me who actually can do this mm-hmm. and take a look at what we're doing. And when I'm integrated, that's called integrity. <laughs> when I've integrated my parts, when I've taken the time to slow down and be kind to the parts that are afraid from a wider perspective of self, from what you guys experienced of being able to separate, then I can walk in this world and if I lose an arm and I can never play violin again, I'm okay. Mm -hmm. At any moment, we're actually okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when we know that, then we can take the next step forward in whatever the actual reality is instead of holding ourselves down. Yeah. I don't, it's so interesting because I say this all the time before when I was taking auditions 
and I was only externally motivated and everyone's struggles are different. So I know there are people who can just do that under pressure and they don't need necessarily in order yeah, to define, need all have their success. They don't need to do this kind of work. And then mm-hmm. later on, it may show up in ugly ways in their lives. As you mentioned, I think what you said is so poignant that you can have everything in the world. You can achieve the greatest success in our field and you can still be miserable with your life. That is so true because of my particular brand of people pleasing tendencies and things like that. I'm right with I you. could not perform under that kind of pressure just mm-hmm. by trying to do performance psychology. I did. I tried everything in the books and I just would still have these trauma responses in those high pressure yeah. situations. And it wasn't until I started going inside and doing this work mm-hmm. that I was able to get any sense of self-worth, self-compassion self-actualization and I'm a million times more confident and better of a violist than I was before I started doing this work there's just no yeah, there's no way to argue not it. about it's them. just the reality yeah. of the situation and it only gets better which is great it's very exciting yes. I, for those who struggle being able to perform in spite of that work and I Noah was like my performance psychology bible still would be There's this shift of approach to it, though. And it's no longer, okay, this person's word, I need to take it, and I'm going to do this thing. And when I figure this part out, then I'm going to have all this success. It's still self, it's still outwardly motivated when you're doing it that way. If only Mm -hmm. I just do everything they say, it's only do all my scales. And if only I do every single thing I wrote in my excerpt book. Yes. Mm -hmm. And instead, and it's still externally motivated. That's right. And instead, now it's more of a curiosity. And when I think about jumping back into the world of performance psychology, it's with this approach of, hey, you know, what would be cool is if I like could learn something from this. It's more interest based. It's more novelty. It, It doesn't define my worth. (laughs) that work does not define my worth anymore and it takes a lot of introspection to get there and I think everything you've said has been so so meaningful and yeah I'm just very grateful that you went to these places with us today Mm -hmm. (laughs) you really jumped in the deep end with us today so thank you so I'm sure yeah I'm sure that a lot of our audience is going to be curious about how to get in touch with you and Mm -hmm. how to experience this for themselves so how can people reach you the short answer is I have a website that's called The Music of You. As professional performers, you are called to give voice to the music of others. As we work together, you are called to give voice to the music of you. So themusicofyou.com is how that they can find me. And there are exploratory sessions that I offer that are complimentary if you want to get a taste of what coaching would be like with me. And then we can talk about how we might work together or what would be next steps. But I also do group work. I've been working in universities. I do residencies for a week long, which means that students sign up and they have one-on-ones with me. And then I hold also group life coaching on both ends of that spectrum. So they get a group experience, which for many people is so powerful because they hear each other having the same problems. Mm. And so much of our struggles is a personal one that we think no one else is feeling when we're sitting in orchestra. So to have an understanding that you're not alone in this is powerful. This is amazing. Thank you so so much Eva for joining us truly thank you <laughs> it's been lovely yes so good to be with you guys thank you for giving me this space yeah. to thank you so much. my pleasure thank you so much for listening today and thanks also to our season sponsors Arcrest, Potter Violins and Aria Lights another thanks to Alto Clef Gifts where you can purchase viola centric shirts and mugs and a variety of other fun items featuring our beloved Alto Clef If you loved today's episode, consider writing us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And if you want the chance to hang with us and have access to behind-the-scenes audio and video recordings, check out our new Patreon. Our episodes are edited and produced by Emily McMahon and Liz O'Hara-Star. The Viola-centric theme music was written and produced by J.P. Wogeman and is performed by Steph and myself. Thanks again for listening. Let's talk soon.